This morning, though, I want to look at, you know, with Christmas being here, the birth and the cross. The birth and the cross. You know, in Galatians 2, 9, it says, For in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. Then in Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, it says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Then over in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 28, it says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Then again, in Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 5 through 7, it says, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have preserved, prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings you taken no pleasure. You have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to you. I have come to do your will. Oh God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Then in verses 9 and 10 of the same chapter of Hebrews, then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second, and by that we, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 23, it says, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. Now that's not our text today, but it's a build-up to where we're going. See, there was a birth that led to a death. And the death needed the birth. And we have to lay that out. So our text this morning that we're going to be working out of is in Galatians chapter 2. It's going to be verse 9, and then we're going to jump down to 13 through 15 of the same chapter. So I would ask out of reverence for the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, if at all possible you could stand for the reading of God's word. Would ask that if you have a Bible or a smartphone or a Kindle or anything like that, if you could go on and flip there, flip there. If not, it'll be on the monitors behind me. But if you cannot stand for it any reason due to health reasons or anything of that nature, please do not. We don't want you to do that in any way, shape, or form that could possibly hurt you. Starting in verse 9, chapter 2. It says, For in him... The whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. Then in 13, and 13 through 15, it says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come to you and we just open your word and 
Father, as we've prepared a, a feast before your table, Lord Jesus, I ask that the saints of God would be able to feast on this meal. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would hide this pastor behind the cross and let your word go forth, Father. And we pray all these things in Christ Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Did you notice that in Galatians 2.9, it, it celebrates the wonderful reality of Christmas? In him coming to earth, Jesus was the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. Now, friends, that is Christmas theology at its best. It's Christmas theology 101. He came in the bodily form of, of the Godhead. He is here. The Redeemer has come, as we will celebrate in a few short days. But just a few verses later, in verses 13 through 15, it talks about Jesus' death. So let me begin by asking you this this morning. Which is the most important holiday for a Christian? Is it Christmas? Is it Good Friday? Or is it Easter? Which is it? Is it more important for the Christian to celebrate Jesus' birth, his death, or his resurrection from the dead? Now, here's a more related question to that. Which is more visible of the mission of Jesus Christ? The nativity scene or the cross? See, they're going to go hand in hand. The nativity scene, which often shows Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus, the stable animals, the shepherds, and sometimes the Magi. It is a vivid representation of Jesus' birth. When we think of the nativity scene as you're driving in your car and you're riding around, you might be looking at Christmas lights and you see this little stable made up and you see this baby in this little manger and we get all excited on the inside. But, but I want you to know that when Christ came, he knew what he was to face. He knew what was coming. It wasn't like he, he would look up at his mommy with some big blue eyes and think, goo goo gaga, this is going to be a beautiful life. No, your Messiah knew. He knew some 33 and a half years later he was going to be nailed to the cross for the very sacrifice of sin so that we could be reunited. So friends, we need Easter. We need resurrection. We need Christmas. We need it all because it goes hand in hand together. You can't have one without the other. It would be null and void if we just had his birth. What good do we have? If we only have the birth of the Messiah, we don't get the sacrifice that was made. And then without his death, we cannot be united to God the Father and be seated in heavenly places. So these messages in this time of year excites me. I just, everything in my being gets excited. Because I know even though we look at lights and glamour and kids unwrapping presents, the present that I've got to unwrap is my Redeemer died for me. 
And when I look to a manger, I think of the sacrifice that had to be made. You might be saying, man, this is a, more of an Easter message. No, 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 no. This is where the cross intersects with the nativity scene. This is where the birth and his cross intersects together. So you might be asking yourself, but, but, but where does the cross fit into Christmas? Well, friends, we're just getting started. We are just getting started. Well, you might be wondering, is it really appropriate to talk about the cross, a symbol of Jesus' death, in a sermon that is so close to his birth. Well, there's some water behind me. There is someone, there's actually a couple that is going to make their public profession of faith that what they believe in and what has taken place in the sense they've repented and they believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection, that on this uh, sermon before Christmas sermon, that we get to celebrate that. That someone is going from death to life because of the very life of Christ. They couldn't have that if O Emmanuel wasn't born. They couldn't have that opportunity. And I know some of you might be arguing in your mind right now, well, well why can't this sermon wait until next April? Why, why can't we wait till next April before we have to hear about the rugged cross? Because the cross must always be preached. It must always be preached because our sins was nailed to that through the very sacrifice of God giving his son, the second head of the Godhead. Then you have the third part, being the Holy Spirit. You have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God sent his son. His son laid down his life. His son resurrected. Then he sent us the Spirit. That's good news this morning. So why was Jesus born? Why was he born? Well, today I'm going to try to answer this question for you. I will suggest to you the why of Christmas and the cross and how they intersect with each other. You see, there is danger in putting up a nativity scene without thinking about the cross. There's danger in that. There's danger. There is danger in celebrating Christmas without the cross. There's danger in this. See, Jesus warned us about separating Christmas and the cross. The New Testament writers, they warned us against separating Christmas and the cross. And preachers of today need also to remind us not to separate the cross and Christmas. We must not do that. James Montgomery Boyce once said in one of his Christmas sermons, he says, we focus so much on the birth of the baby and on the sentiment that goes with that story, and there is a certain amount of legitimate sentiment that goes with it that we miss the most important things. We miss that. And actually, the story is treated quite different in Scripture. And the emphasis is always on the fact that Jesus came to die. 
Scriptures point to that. The Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, took on a human body in order that he might die for our salvation. And we miss the most important things about Christmas if we fail to see that. We miss the whole boat if we fail to see that he took on human form, the spotless lamb, so that we could have a sacrifice. So Christmas and the cross. In relation to our status with Christ, that he died for us, yet while we were still sinners, when you were dead in your transgressions, meaning separated, completely dead, spiritually bankrupt, Christ yet still died. C.S. Lewis once said, Christ died for men precisely because they are not worth it to make them worth it. When you wasn't worth it, Christ died so that you would be worth it. So when you're running around and you think, well, you just don't know. You don't know what I've done to you. You have no clue. Christ did. And this is why he came into a manger. So he could lay down his life so you could gain life. And we need not at all to forget that. That must be engrafted in you. Look at Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. It says, but God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Then in verse 10 of chapter 5 in Romans, it says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Much more was his life that did this. Was his life. See, Christ died while we were his enemies and sinners. And long before we cared about him, he cared about us. Long before we cared about him. Take your life back to the day before salvation. Did you really care about Christ? Or did you care about the temporal things that made you feel good? Well, see, even while you cared about the things that made you feel good, God still sent his son to die for you. You was wretched, separated, at enmity with God. And yet, he sent his very best. His very best. So when I see that little light that most people put down into the manger and they shine it down and that little light of mine, oh, this little light of mine, how I'm going to let it shine. I think about Jesus and the person and the work and the walk and everything he did for us. So I get excited when I see the nativity scene. But on the spectrum of that, I see the cross and it crumbles me. It crumbles me to 
to thank wretched sinner me redeemed by a perfect and holy one that he would take my place he would take your place he would take every addiction every fornication everything and he would nail it to the cross when we don't deserve it so when you see that nativity scene think about it think about it see Christ's death has made it possible for us to be reconciled to God and have a relationship with Christ He's made us alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions and having canceled out the certificate of death, of debt consenting of decrees against us. We see this in Hebrews, Hebrews 10, 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Notice he offered a single sacrifice. One, one. Then in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, it says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? By no means. By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? This is where the rubber meets the road. How can we who have died to this sin still waller in it? Can't. You put your best foot forward and keep moving. It don't say we're going to be perfect. Actually, it says just the opposite. We are all sinners falling short of the glory of God. But we must repent. We must turn from our evil, wicked ways. These are the things we must do. Not to continually do the things that we know we're not supposed to do. We're making a mockery of him when we do that. We're making a mockery. Christ ain't happy with them things. Then over in Ephesians, as we just finished the book of Ephesians, but going back to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship. Do you know when you look into the mirror that you are looking at the very image of God that he has taken and done some artistic work and made you totally separate? You are a piece of his hand. You are his workmanship. And we run around and we say, well, I'm not pretty or I'm not beautiful or I'm stressed out about this or I'm stressed out about that. No, child, you are made in the image of God. Stop believing the lie of the enemy. You're his workmanship. That means he took a scalpel and niched everything into you. From every wrinkle to every hair to every pimple for the teenagers. He niched that in you. That's his workmanship. And then when God sees us, those who are in Christ, he sees his son. He sees his son. See, our sinful nature is hostile toward us. But old friends, 
We have an advocate with the Father. Do you know what an advocate is? It's a lawyer. It's an intercessor. It's someone who's taken up for you on your behalf. So when the accuser of the brethren, Satan, when he comes against you, Jesus steps forward and says, no, no, I paid the price. I bought them. They are covered under me. That's good news. That's good news. But you only get this if you're a born-again believer. You say, well, 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 Brother William, how do you say that, that Satan's the accuser of the brethren? Well, in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, and verse 9 and 10, it says, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of the brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. Right now, the enemy is trying to accuse us of things before God. But your advocate is always on the clock. He's not like any lawyer that you could get downtown that only answers the phone from 9 to 5. No, anytime you call upon the name of the Lord, he cleans his ear in. He's listening. And he's ready to be your advocate. He's ready to be the best lawyer. The only lawyer. And he's wanting you. Look with me at 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, my little children. I love that language. My little children. I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ. The righteous. Now, that's not a license to sin. Don't get that twisted and put it in your back pocket and say, oh, well, I can go do what I want to do because uh, Pastor William said, I've got an advocate. He's going to stand up for me every time. No, 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 no. You will sear your conscience. And then if you keep willfully sinning in the same things that you're continually doing, but you're still asking for forgiveness every time you do it, but yet you turn right back around and do it again, you might want to look in the mirror and say, Lord, am I really saved? Lord, I'm not feeling the conviction. I'm not feeling a prompting by your Holy Spirit that I'm doing something wrong. That's when you need to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You need to get on your knees and you need to call out to Abba. You need to say, what's wrong with me? What's going on? See, the blood of Christ, it works like a filter with God. See, when God looks down upon us, he sees the blood and the righteousness of his son. And when Christ was nailed to the cross, he took all of our sins upon him. Every sin upon him. Not some, not a few. Every sin was nailed upon him. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. It says, but if we walk in light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all. 
the blood of Jesus. And it took me to a verse in the Gospel of Matthew. It's Matthew 27, 46. And I've been really just wrestling this in my mind. Because it says in about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now remember, this is the same God that put him down in the manger. And then the separation that took place on the cross, Jesus is like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he didn't. So when I read that, Eli, Eli, I could just picture Jesus thinking about us. He's hanging there. He's busted, bloodied, and battered. And he's looking down on the ones who was worshiping him, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna to the highest. And then they shouted, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Imagine what God in the flesh was thinking. He's thinking to the Father. I came for them, for this. So responding to the birth and the cross, I'm going to ask you, have you ever unwrapped God's gift to you? Did you know God give you a gift in the person and the work of Jesus Christ? And you unwrap that gift by repenting and believing in the gospel. good news. Will you thank God for the gifts of Christmas and be sure to tell others about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ this year? Instead of letting them just sit around and look and say, oh, baby Jesus. Can you tell them that this baby came and walked and was beaten, mocked, and scorned so that you could be one into the kingdom of heaven? That this is the real meaning of Christmas. This is the real meaning. We needed a savior. And he came. He came. And some people's about ready to make their public profession of that. That they have believed in this good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That they can sing that song, thank you Jesus. Thank you Jesus. Maybe you need to make things right on this holiday season. Maybe there's something that's been holding you back from just saying, you know what, Lord, now is the day. Today's the day that you have all of me. Not part of me. Not 88%. Not 98%. Not even 99.999%. But Lord Jesus, you get all 100% of me. The good, the bad, the ugly, and everything in between. That I'm going to lay it down at the foot of the cross. I'm going to believe in you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to shout Jesus from the rooftops. I'm going to tell everybody about you. Because I have went from death to life. Sometimes.
We need to do that. Sometimes we need, like Ezekiel said, our heart of stone turned into a heart of flesh. See, some of us need a real open heart surgery. And not one that you can go get down at Jewish Hospital. I'm talking about when the great physician walks in and he cracks your chest open and he takes it out and he says, you know what, I'm going to remove that right there. That valve's bad. That valve's bad. You know what, I'm going to do something better. I'm going to take my Holy Spirit and I'm going to put it inside there and I'm going to give him a heart of flesh. Some of us, that's what we need this Christmas season. Some of us need to look into our eyes and see him go from death to life. Because the day before Christmas... We had no chance at life. But because of the day of Christmas, we have a chance of eternal life.